Today's scripture reading is from Exodus 20. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. Hope you guys all had a great weekend. Uh, you now have my permission to listen to Christmas music. <laughs> Those of you that have been listening to it since October, shame on you. <laughs> well, it is good to, good to be with you this morning. Uh, for those of you who are new, my name is Chris, and I serve as the lead pastor here. Uh, this is round two of me preaching from a stool. Um, this, may, this may actually become the norm for me for a while. I, I don't know this for sure. I'm going to the orthopedic surgeon tomorrow, but it is increasingly look like I tore something. So pray for me, pray for, especially pray for my wife, because if I do need to have surgery, it's, it's going to be a long road. But um, we, we definitely cover your prayers. Um, this is, right now, this is an inconvenience, you know, kind of first world problems in some ways. But those of you that, that know what it is like to have pain, to have gone through surgery, recovery, the inconvenience of that, uh, you know that it, it just, it isn't fun. It isn't fun. And so um, be praying for the Hemelman household in the coming days and weeks. Uh, and if you are new, um, let me just add by way of welcome. We're so glad you're here, especially on, on this weekend uh, if you're here, um, just you, you came uh, by yourself or came as a family, or maybe you, you know someone here, uh, we are so grateful you're here. Uh, we want to extend hospitality to you in any way that we can, whether uh, you're a confident believer in Jesus Christ, you're looking for a church home, you have questions about First City, we'd love to answer those questions, welcome you further into the life of the community. Or maybe you're someone who, you're unsure of what you believe, you have questions, you're wrestling through whether or not you believe in God, the Bible, or Jesus. Listen, you're welcome. You're welcome. We would love to meet you, love to just sit down and get to know you, hear your stories. No hard sell, no pressure, just to hear what, what things you're wrestling with and, and how we can be helpful. And maybe you're here and you say you don't have faith at all. You, you know you're clear, you don't have faith at all, but you're curious. If there's ways that we can answer questions, if we can come alongside you, pray for you, uh, encourage you in any way as you are on, on a journey of faith, we would love to be able to do that. So please let us know uh, how we can serve you or pray for you. Uh, we, we would love to be able to do that. Well, if you haven't opened your Bibles uh, to Exodus 20, please do so. We're going to be focusing on verse 16. And the title of my message this morning is The Truth, the Whole Truth, and Nothing But the Truth. So for the college football fans in the room, how many of you remember Mansai Teo? A few of you? Okay, Mansai Teo was an all-American linebacker for Notre Dame in 2012. He had one of the greatest seasons for a defensive player in college football history. 
In addition to winning pretty much every Defensive Player of the Year award, he was actually the runner-up for the Heisman, which is highly unusual for a defensive player to finish that high in the Heisman race. He had an incredible year. It was an incredible achievement. And during multiple interviews that year, Teo spoke of how his girlfriend, Lene, and his grandma died on the same day. And he had dedicated his season to their memory. He was motivated by this great loss of his girlfriend and his grandma, and that's, that's why he had such a great season. There was only one problem. His girlfriend was not real. I mean, remember the story. <laughs> a few more of you, oh yeah, I remember that guy, the, the football player with a fake girlfriend. So Lene had been created by somebody who had wanted to get close to Manti Teo. He had been catfished, as the kids say. Uh, he had been taken in and he had given his heart to someone who wasn't real. And he admitted that he had never actually interacted with her in person. It had always been over the phone or through text or through email. Now, the good news of the story is that Manti Teo came out on the other side of the scandal more embarrassed and heartbroken than anything else. There was a, a documentary in his life that was recently put out, and he's doing great. He's married, has a daughter, he's loved at Notre Dame, he's like, he, he had an uh, eight-year career in the NFL, like he's doing okay, the guy's good. At the same time, it doesn't change the fact that this man's reputation and career were almost destroyed because of a lie. See, lies are dangerous things. Lies can create incredible damage and destruction. They have the power to hurt and destroy. And this is especially true when a lie is used to manipulate the levers of institutional power. So lie about someone in your social circle, that has certain uh, amount of consequence that can hurt. You lie to somebody to the media, and that, that, that damage and destruction broadens a bit. But if you lie about someone in a court of law, that can cause someone to lose their freedom or even their life. And so this is the specific context of the ninth commandment. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. So the literal translation in the Hebrew is do not answer about your neighbor deceptive witness, deceptive testimony. The, the backdrop of this is being summoned before a judge to give an answer. Someone is asking you questions about a particular person and their character or something that happened, and God's word says don't lie in that moment. Don't be deceptive. Don't give a false answer. The ninth commandment, it guards against really the most destructive lies that, that we can speak. When we speak lies in a court of law, the damage and destruction are at their highest level. When there's not honesty in the justice system, not only are people's lives wrecked and ruined, but a society as a, as a whole becomes corrupt and becomes oppressive. And so here the ninth commandment and this prohibition against lying in a court of law, it follows the pattern of the other commandments, five through ten. And maybe you've noticed this pattern, that each of the specific prohibitions is sort of the worst case scenario for a particular sin. So the fifth commandment, it prohibits the worst case of rebelling against authority, rebelling against your parents. The sixth commandment guards against anger at its worst, murder. The seventh at lust at its worst, cheating on your spouse. The eighth, as we saw last week, is greed at its worst, actually stealing from people. And the ninth at its worst, lying in a court of law. But like the other commandments, as we've seen, that this specific prohibition, it's just the tip of an iceberg. 
Like it has a, it's a very specific application, but underneath it is a greater call to something. What, what the ninth commandment prohibits is far bigger than just the context of the court of law. It's an entire lifestyle that it is calling us to. And so here's the truth. Ultimately, the ninth commandment is going to point us to this morning is this, that lies enslave us and the truth sets us free. Lies enslave us, but the truth sets us free. Have you ever asked the question, why do we lie? Why do you lie? Have you ever thought about that, why you lie in a particular circumstance? What exactly are we doing when we're lying? Well, we're not saying what is true. We're saying the opposite of what is true. We're saying a false or we're saying a half-truth. But even more than that, have you considered what we're doing in a lie? And how exactly do lies enslave us? Well, to understand and to answer these questions, we, we need to go back to the first lie found in Scripture. Now, Jesus says in John 8, that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. Lying originates with the enemy, with Satan. And so we need to go back to the beginning and see this first lie, when he first lies, and, and to understand the nature of lying and what we're doing when we're lying. And so if you have your Bible or Bible app, flip back to Genesis 3. We'll also have the verses up on the screen. We're going to read Genesis 3, 1 through 5. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it or touch it, or you will die. No, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat, eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, there's a lot that could be said about this conversation, but I want to I highlight just a couple things here. First, notice Notice that the serpent, who's Satan, attacks the foundation of truth. The first thing he does is he, he attacks the foundation of truth, God and his word. See, God's very nature is truth, and the nature of God's word is truth. And so to lie is to attack God and his word. Why does Proverbs 6 say the Lord hates a lying tongue and hates a false testimony? Because lying goes against his nature. Lying is contradictory to his word. And notice how Satan twists God's words. He doesn't just attack directly at first. He twists God's words. Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? God didn't say that. God didn't say you can't eat from any tree. It was only one specific tree. And Eve corrects him. She says, no, we can eat of any tree except one. So it's not just that, God, or that Satan twists God's words, it's what he's doing by twisting them. Did God say you can't eat? Hey, hey, you, you can't eat any of this, right? God's not letting you do this, right? What's implied in that? God isn't good, right? God's holding out on you, right? He's not letting you have any of this, right? You, you, you really can't trust him, right? Satan is twisting God's words to Eve in order to get her to doubt God's goodness to imply that God's holding out on her and Adam, that they cannot trust God to take care of them. And so Satan is trying to erode trust in God by eroding confidence in the goodness of God. And then Eve, he, she sort of corrects him, but she also twists God's word herself, but that's a different sermon. But then the serpent takes a direct assault. 
He flatly contradicts. He says, you're not going to die. No, 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 no. God, God, God was wrong or God's lying to you. You're not going to die. In fact, here's what God knows. If you eat of this tree, you're going to be like him. You're going to know good and evil just like him. So the fact that God is not letting you do this, he's not letting you be like him. He's holding something back from you. He goes all in on attacking God's goodness, attacking the integrity of the Lord, the goodness of God, and he gets Eve to believe that nothing bad is going to happen. You should have what you want in this moment. You're not going to die. Take it. Eat it. Become like God. And so here we see in this conversation between the serpent and Eve the nature of all lies. All lies do three things. One, they undermine truth. They undermine the truth of God's word. Two, they erode trust in the goodness of God to get you to grab control yourself. And three, they ultimately get you to center yourself, put yourself at the center. You become the most important thing, what you want, what you desire. That becomes the most important thing. And so even if you have to lie to get it, you will. Undermining truth, eroding trust in the goodness of God, and then ultimately rejecting authority, God's authority, and centering self. Like, this is what Satan himself has been doing from the beginning, and this is what he deceives Adam and Eve to do. To do. And this is our story as well. Like, why do we lie? Why do you lie? Like, there are, there are many circumstantial reasons why you'll lie. Like, we'll lie to stay out of trouble. Well, we lie because we want to project a certain image of ourselves, we want to be seen by people in a certain way. We want to be liked or respected. Like we'll lie to try to control our circumstances. And we'll also lie to hurt and harm others or gain power over them. There's a lot of different reasons why we lie. So why do you lie? In what ways are you tempted to lie? Let me confess. My temptation to lie is because I want to look a particular way. I want to say I did something that I did not. Now, this does not mean that I have lied on my resume or that I am telling stories about great uh, accomplishments and achievements that I have done. That's not what I mean by this. Here's how this lie manifests itself. Early in our marriage, I had this terrible habit of not paying the credit card. I am not a money-oriented person, you could say that. Mindy is much more the money-oriented person in our marriage. And so she has like this internal clock, like first first like four or five days of the, the month, she just like, pay the credit card, pay the credit card. So she would ask me, hey, have you paid the credit card? And I would say, yes, even when I hadn't. And so then I would go and quickly pay it, and so it would always get paid. It's not like I didn't pay it, but I didn't always pay it when I said I did. And so there are those nasty late fees that often got paid. Now, I eventually got busted. This is not the first time I've confessed this to my wife. She's not hearing this for the first time. She knows that I did not do this. <laughs> but in that moment, I lied to my wife. And I still, at times, have this temptation. When I did not do something, I said I was going to do to tell the person that I did when I didn't. Why? Because I want to be seen a particular way. I want to be respected as somebody who follows through on their word and is responsible and does the things that they say they're going to do. Like, I don't want to face the shame of having to tell somebody, hey, I didn't follow through. I failed. I didn't keep my word. I don't want to be honest about how I can be. 
And so I will lie. It may may seem like a small deal in some ways because I ultimately get the thing done. But it's a lie. It's a lie. And underneath those lies are the same three things. Like, I am going against God and his nature and his word. Did God really say, did God really say I shouldn't lie in this situation? And so I can convince myself that maybe he didn't. Two, I'm not trusting in the goodness of God. I don't trust God's goodness enough to admit that I was wrong and deal with the consequences. No, I want to control the situation with my deception because I don't trust, functionally, I don't trust that God will be with me in those circumstances. And three, rather than submit to the Lord and depend upon him and be honest, like I center self. Like what becomes most important in that moment is the perception people have of me, my reputation, not honoring God. And so I center self. Why do you lie? Listen, whatever your circumstances might be, whatever the reason is circumstantially, you lie because you have listened to the lie of the enemy. You have believed the lie of the enemy. You've listened to the hiss of his whisper that God's word isn't true, that God cannot be trusted, and that you should center self above everything else. And so think about it. Just just consider right now, a lie that you have told recently or a lie that you have found yourself falling into a pattern that you have told in the past. Consider all the ways you lie. Be honest about it. Look, you might not say it out loud. You might not say out loud that you don't trust God or that God's word isn't true. You may have good theology on paper. You may affirm that God's word is the truth. You may say that you are under the authority of God, But when you lie, you're functionally, with your life, you are saying, is that right? Did God really say that? Can I trust God? I don't know if I can. I I probably can't trust the Lord in this moment. Nah, he's, he's really not present with me in this moment. And I should, I really should have this. Like, I should have what I want. I, I'm entitled to this, right? I deserve this. I need this. So when we lie, no matter the circumstances. Underneath those lies, it's the same thing, the same three things over and over. Now, you may be here this morning, and the way you process through that, God wasn't, wasn't part of the equation. Maybe you, you don't believe in God, or maybe God's just this abstract idea that's very far removed from how you process through your decisions. But consider this. Consider, as you process through the reasons why you lie, You've decided that deception matters more than truth. You've decided to control your circumstances rather than trust in the goodness and graciousness of others. And ultimately, you've placed yourself and your wants and your desires at the center as the highest good. So even if you remove specifically God from the equation, the contours still trace what Scripture holds out for us. Why we lie is because we doubt and question truth. We want to grab control for ourselves and ultimately we believe that we should center ourselves. And what does this lying do for us? It enslaves us. It enslaves us. It enslaves us individually and it enslaves us as a society. Like, have you ever experienced or noticed how exhausting lying is? The, the great English poet and satirist Alexander Pope wrote this, 
He who tells a lie is not sensible of how great a task he undertakes, for he must be forced to invent 20 more to maintain that one. Ever experienced this for yourself? That one lie never just stops at one lie, it becomes another? One lie gives birth to another, and then another, and then another? Like when we build our, our, our lives, or we create this perception of ourselves through lies, then we have to work really hard to maintain that perception. We have to really work really hard to keep the facade going. Because the image we build for ourselves, it's always under threat, right? There's always this sense that if someone finds out that it's not true, the whole thing's going to come crashing down. And so we have to tell more lies to keep it up. We have to tell a lie to person two because we have to cover for the lie we told to person one. Then we have to go over here and tell a lie to person three because when person one, two, and three get together, we have to make sure that they all have the same story. And so lies multiply themselves over and over and over, and we run ourselves ragged. It becomes very exhausting to maintain a lie. And we become enslaved. We become enslaved to the facade. We become enslaved to those tireless efforts to keep control of the narrative and keep control of others' perception of us. And then here's the other lie we fall for in the midst of all that. We think we're in control of the lies, but actually, the lies are in control of us. We think we're in control of the lie, using the lies to to create the perception and control our circumstances, but really, the lies are now controlling us. We have to serve those lies. We give our time and our energy to those lies. We begin to live for those lies. We're motivated by those lies. That's the thing that most occupies our mind and our heart. And friends, that's the definition of a master, And so we become enslaved to lies. They master us. They control us. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't just stop with how we enslave ourselves. We also enslave others. We'll enslave others with our lives. When we create false impressions of ourselves, then those impressions, other people are enslaved to those impressions. But like here's here's a sobering truth, husbands and wives. If you are living in a lie, if you are creating a perception, if you are lying to your spouse and to your kids, your kids are caught in the wake of that. They are enslaved to that. They're not actually engaging the real you. They're caught in your web of manipulation. You have enslaved them to your lies. And so we enslave others. We also enslave others when we lie about other people, when we slander them or gossip about them. Like, when we, when we lie about someone, what are we doing? Like, we're, we're trying to control other people's perceptions of them, right? But we're trying to control that person. We're trying to enslave that person to our wants, our desires, our agenda. We're trying to control them and move them in the way that suits us and meets our needs and our desires and fits our narrative. And so we enslave other people with our lies. We enslave other people with our slander. We want to put them under our control and make them means for for our ends and our gain. We're forcibly centering ourself in their life by trying to control other people's perceptions of them. And so the chains of lies and the enslaving chains of lies, they can reach far. They can reach far. But it doesn't stop there either. When we as individuals 
collectively reject the truth of God's word and grow comfortable with living by lies, then the, the effect on society, it's devastating. Like we become a society enslaved to lies. We become easily manipulated. We become unable to discern truth from falsehood. But the worst of it is, is that we become okay being lied to. Like have, you ever, have you ever wondered why that we, we all know we're being lied to, right, in, in many ways. I'm not saying everything that comes out of the government is a lie, but, but we're being lied to in a lot of ways by our government, by the news media. Like, like, we know this, right? We all acknowledge this. We laugh about it. And yet, it seems like nothing ever changes. We vote for the same politicians. We listen to the same sort of channels of news media. Like, like the, the, the infrastructure, the lying infrastructure just sort of stays. The status quo is never really disrupted all that much. Why is that? Because at the end of the day, we're pretty comfortable with being lied to. We're okay with it. We're fine with it. Why are we fine with it? Because so often we're living lies ourselves. Th those who live by lies are going to be okay. Yeah, this person's lying to me. Well, I'm lying to myself, and so what's the big deal? And so we create a society that is okay with lying to itself. We create a society that shrugs its shoulders when we know full well we're being lied to by those who pull the levers of power. We have become shaped by lies as a society. Rebellion and lies and denial of reality, they shape us. They shape us. Listen, we should call out the government. We should call out the news media. We should call out any institution that is trying to lie and manipulate us. But we also have to recognize as a society we aren't much better. Like, it's easy to point the finger at all those institutions, but consider the lies that we believe. Like, in our society, we, we believe now as a society that a man can become a woman and a woman can become a man. And that's not what this sermon is about. I'm not going to go on a tangent here. I'm just highlighting this as an example. If we will believe that lie, the fundamental nature of reality, then all the other lies, what's the big deal? This is how far we have sunk as a culture, as a society, because we've become so okay with lying. This is the damage and the destruction that lies do to us. And so let me ask again, why do you lie? Or maybe more importantly, what lies are enslaving you? What lies have you? How, how are you manipulating others to see you in a certain way or well, what facade have you created and you're tirelessly working to maintain it? What are the sins? What are the weaknesses? What are the, the, the dark parts of you that you're hiding from other people because you don't want them to know the real you? How are you enslaving other people with your lies? How are you lying about other people? Are you slandering? Are you gossiping about other people? Are you seeking to control others through lies for your agenda? Husbands and wives, when you when you share conflict with other people, when you talk about conflict, are you spinning things to make yourself look better and your spouse look worse? Are you trying to control and enslave your spouse to your spin? Or, or those of you kids in the room, when you talk to your parents about your brother or your sister, are you being honest? Or are you spinning it to make you look like you behave better and your brother or sister worse? Like, what, in what ways are you enslaved to lies? In what ways are you trying to enslave 
others. We all need to acknowledge that we can do this and have done this. Like we all need a moment of humility and honesty. We all need to acknowledge the damage our lives have done to ourselves and to others. We need to be honest and we need to acknowledge how we believe that we know better than God's word, that, that we've trusted in our own ability to control better than trusting God, and that we've put self on the throne. We need to be honest about this. We need to be honest about the ways our lies have perpetuated self. Are you tired of it? Are you tired? I mean, we can acknowledge it, we can be honest. But in being honest about it, does that lead you to this place of like, I don't like this anymore? Like, I, I, I don't. I'm tired of this. I'm, I'm tired of running ragged trying to keep this facade going. I'm, I'm tired of, of trying to build this persona and this perception that isn't true. I'm tired of trying to control and manipulate people. Like, are you tired of the damage that you're doing to yourself and others? Does your honesty actually lead you to this place of like, hey, I want to stop this? Or are you good? Are you good? Are you in this place of like, hey, no, I'm good. The lies are working for me. I got everything under control. I like how things are. I'm good. Well, listen, if, if that's where you are, if you're, if you're in the place of like, I'm good, then let me say, God's word comes to you this morning with a warning, with a challenge. The seventh commandment comes to you and it holds up a, a truth and a reality that God hates lying. God hates a lying tongue. God hates those who bear false witness. God hates it because it is fundamentally against his nature and against his word. And if you are living in a lie, if, you, if lies are what define you, if you're okay with that, then understand you are, God opposes you that you are living under the judgment of God, God's good and righteous judgment. God hates lying because of the damage and destruction it does to other people. God is good and he's just. He's not indifferent. He's not indifferent to the damage and destruction our lives do to ourselves and others. He confronts it, he opposes it, and he will judge it. And so if you are at this place of, I'm good, hear me clearly. Understand, God has said Judgment will come. And so judgment will come. But if you're here this morning and you're tired, you're like, I'm done. I acknowledge that I've been living by lies. I acknowledge that I have been enslaved to lies. I have enslaved myself and I have enslaved others. If you are there this morning and you're tired of it, there's good news for you. There's good news for you. There's good news in the gospel because God doesn't just bring judgment. God is gracious He's merciful. He's full of love for those who will turn from their sin, repent of their sin, and turn to him in trust and faith. The good news of the gospel is that while lies enslave us, truth will set us free. When you turn to the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, you can experience forgiveness and you can experience freedom. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. To turn to the truth is to turn to Jesus Christ. 
to, to reject the lies of the enemy, to, to turn from your sin, to repent of your sin and put your faith in Christ. That is the way to forgiveness and freedom because the good news of the gospel is that while you and I were liars, while we were enslaved to our lies and trying to enslave other people, Jesus came and he died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God, we didn't do anything good to deserve it. But God in his grace sends Jesus, and Jesus in his love comes to rescue us, comes to save us. And Jesus dies on a cross. He takes every sin, every lie that you and I have committed upon himself, and he takes that judgment that you and I deserve so that we can be forgiven and we can be set free. This is the good news of the gospel, is that when we turn to truth, when we turn to Christ, there's freedom. As Jesus told his disciples in John 8, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. There's wonderful promise in truth. There's wonderful promise when we turn from our sin and we turn to Christ and receive him as our Lord and our Savior. When we put our trust in him and stop trying to control things on our own. And the good news is this, for those of you that have been set free, for those of you that have put your faith in Christ, you no longer live by lies and you no longer have to live by lies. Yeah, we have old bad patterns we can slip into, but you do not have to live by that any longer. You no longer need to hide away the ugly parts of yourself because you know Jesus died for it. You don't have to pretend, you don't have to perform, you don't have to make it look like you have it all together. Jesus died because you don't. And his grace is for you because you don't have it all together. And that's good news because you can stop living by performance and start living by his grace. When you know that you are forgiven, when you walk in the truth, when you walk in the light of Jesus Christ, you can bring those things out in the open. You can experience forgiveness. You can experience freedom. You can experience healing. And there is nothing like living in absolute truth. Like, like, have you ever met somebody who has just nothing to hide? They have nothing to hide. They're not worried about their reputation. They're not worried about putting up a facade. They, they, they're, they're open and honest about their junk, but they know they're forgiven. They know that God is good and gracious. They're trusting in him. And so they walk in this freedom, this lightness, this joy, this beauty, because they have nothing to hide. They're not afraid of anything. Have you ever met someone like that? Do you ever wish you could be like that? Oh, there's so much beauty and so much power when we walk in truth, when we're not afraid of lies, when we're not afraid of hiding. And that is what is offered to us in the gospel. That is the freedom that Jesus offers us. When we walk in the light, when we stop lying, when we stop hiding, when we stop trying to build a persona and a perception on our own, when we live in the good of the identity we have in Christ, when we stop trying to perform for other people, when we walk in the truth, there's great, great freedom. There's great joy. There's so much life for us. Do you want that? Do you want to walk in that? What's keeping you from that? And look, I, I understand. I understand this. It may be that for you to confess sin, to bring things in the light because you've been walking in a lie for so long, you're like, you don't understand what it's going to cost me. You don't understand what it's going to do to my life. It's going to blow up my world. Maybe so. Maybe so. But, but here's, here's what you have to ask yourself. Here's what you, you have to come to grips with and wrestle. Is perpetuating that lie that will one day come crumbling down, 
One day you're going to get caught. One day the facade is going to crumble and you're going to be out. Would that be better than to humbly acknowledge the lie and receive the grace of God and trust him in the process of reconciliation that may need to happen? Like, I'm not going to promise you that it won't be hard. It may be very hard and very difficult. There may be lots of tears and lots of pastoral counsel that is needed and lots of hardship to work through the reconciliation that is needed. But if you trust the Lord, this is where gospel, sort of the rubber meets the road. Do you trust that God is good in that moment and his power is at work such that you will be true? You will be honest and you will trust him with the result because you believe that honoring the Lord, walking in the light, walking in truth is more important than this fake persona that you're putting up. And on the other side of all that pain, on the other side of all that hardship, there's going to be freedom. There's going to be joy. There's going to be a lightness. There's going to be just that, that sense of, hey, there's nothing else to hide here. Like I, I've, I've talked with multiple dudes who when their sin was found out, they were like, you know what the greatest thing is, is that I don't have to hide this anymore. It's like I got so burdened with hiding it. The fact that it's out in the open now, it's like just that in and of itself is a relief. And yeah, they had to walk through some painful stuff. But the truth was worth it. The grace was worth it. The freedom was worth it. Friends, what's keeping you from walking in the truth, walking in the grace that God offers you through Jesus Christ? Also, for those of you who are in Christ, like you don't need to lie about other people anymore. <laughs> You don't center self anymore. You're not trying to control others and manipulate them for your own ends and purposes. No, you get to love people. You get to love them. You get to serve them. You get to encourage them and build them up. Rather than lying about them, you get to highlight the good things. Rather than seeing the worst in them, you see the best in them. Rather than pointing out all their flaws, which you may have to confront sin at times, but you point to the grace of God. And when we do call out sin, we don't do it to push them down so we can elevate. No, we do it because we want, them to, we want them to experience the grace of God. We want them to walk in forgiveness. We want them to walk in freedom. We do it for them and their good, not because it makes us look good. This is the blessing. This is the good of walking in truth. This is the freedom that truth gives us. And so it may be that you need to ask some hard questions about who you've lied about and gossiped about, slandered. It may be that you need to go to a brother or sister and say, hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've slandered you. I'm sorry that I've lied about you. I've tried to manipulate other people's perception about you. Will you please forgive me? Can, can we do what is necessary to, to reconcile here? Friends, as hard as that may be, it's worth it. The grace that will be there is worth it. The reconciliation is worth it. The relationship is worth it. The culture that it builds in a church is worth it. And so don't let it be lies that shape you. Don't let it be lies that shape you and your relationships and your community. Let the truth set you free and let the truth set others free. And this ultimately, church, say this in, in conclusion, this ultimately is important because our world lives by lies. Our world is wrecking and ruining itself because of the lies that it perpetuates, the lies that it tells itself and tries to tell us. Where are those who have been wrecked and ruined by lies going to find a community and see what it looks like to walk in the freedom of truth? 
Where are they going to go to see people who've been set free by the truth and are open and honest and don't try to, try to control things with their lives? They don't enslave themselves and others to lives. Where are they going to go to see just what it means to walk in the goodness of truth? If it's not the church, where else can they go? Where else are they going to go? Let it be here for City Church. Let it be here in this community that people see what it looks like to be set free from lies, what it looks like to walk in honesty, what it looks like to build one another up instead of lie about one another. Let them see the power of the gospel, the transforming, forgiveness-giving, freedom-giving power of the gospel and the love that it produces and the unity it produces and the relationships it produces. Let those who have been beat up by the world come here and experience God's grace. And then let's go out into the world and speak truth. Yes, we are going to have to confront lies, but let's do so holding up the goodness and the glory of God so that others may be set free. Amen? Let's pray.